All right, everybody. Hello, hello. It is time for another amazing episode of Their Rabbis and They're Married. We are so excited to be here today. It is a momentous day today because... Why? What's momentous? I mean, every day that we wake up in God's beautiful earth is a momentous day. It's but... snowing outside. That's why. <laughs> it's snowing outside. I didn't know how deep you were getting there. Jeez, this is the beginning of the podcast, Rach. She just wants to, she's so intense these days. It is actually gorgeous. It looks like it's one of those snows that's like a snow globe snow, those big, thick. What day are we recording again? January 10th. Today is January 10th. This is not going to come out. It's probably going to be a lot later than that, but today is January 10th. I know. If you haven't noticed, everyone, we are. Uh, working ahead on our podcast recordings, there may be. Well, I wonder why there may be a couple months coming up in which I am less available for podcast recordings. So you may notice that we talk about things that happened a month ago. Sorry about that. If everything's different and the world is gone, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it is beautiful. It is snowing. I'm looking out onto our Temple of Aaron ice skating rink right now, and the snow is falling beautifully Shh. on it. You're so excited for this ice skating rink, especially here in St. Paul, because we thought there was going to be no ice skating this year. Because we're having this like unseasonably warm, it, it like didn't snow in October, November, and December. Basically, like it snowed once in first... October on Halloween. It snowed. Yeah, but it melted like that night. It wasn't. It wasn't right. a real snow. This is like the first week of winter. I feel like that we've had. We're here. We're here. We are here at winter. So the Twin Cities is beginning to feel a little bit more like the Twin Cities. Like we get lost here in the Twin Cities when it's not winter. We don't. We don't understand. The mild winter, we don't really get that here. You yeah, know? we're the frozen chosen. It's got to be frozen or nothing, right? That's what we say. Uh. All right. Well, we are so excited to have you here today and listening. This is a really special episode. I mean, all of the episodes we do are special. We've had so many special guests, but we truly have a treasured person in our life who has been so incredible for our particular community and has been so incredibly impactful to Jewish communities around the country who are experiencing her art. Um, and experiencing what she does. And I think we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful conversation with her today. And someone who, even if you have never met her, she's been in your ears, whether you know it or not, if you've been listening to this podcast. Exactly. The very author and composer of, at least one of our composers of our song, is... Holly Hello, I'm Colleen Deeker, the co-writer of the Their Rabbis and Their Married podcast theme song. Exactly. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you for recording the theme song for us. It was really fun. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It makes our podcast feel like it's a real podcast. We have a theme song. <laughs> we feel much more real for you and really. I think we'd also have to pay Colleen like thousands of dollars for this theme song probably. And the fact that we uh, she all, gave us this one as a favor. All about who you know. It really it is. It really is. <laughs> it really is. But we love Colleen for many reasons, not just because she gives us free labor. We love her as a person and a, such a value part of our community. And we are so excited to have you here with us. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Well, I am a traveling musician and I stayed at your house for the past few days, enjoyed your workout room, being roomies with your amazing daughter, Hadassah. <laughs> nice. Eating your awesome cooking. 
Wow. No one's ever said that before. It's so. really good. Okay. It's way I, better than I can do. I think oh. we got, we've gotten takeout most nights. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marcus. Ooh. What did you make for me? Ooh. <laughs> you made me something. You made me like What did I make for you? Oh, you had, we had breakfast. We had, yeah, we had brunch on Sunday. Beyond you made eggs. I make, I make good brunch. Eggs. I make good brunch. It's very delicious. <laughs> I make good brunch. I make good brunch. brunch. Okay, I we're not going to break out in song more than three times. Okay, okay that, that was, was one time. All right. All right. It's been amazing, amazing getting to hang out with you. What are we, before, before you introduce yourself and, 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 and like tell us who you are a little bit, tell us your story. What are we talking about today? I know we're going to hear a little bit about Colleen's life. What, are, what else are we talking about? Well, we're talking about music. We're talking about music and Judaism today. We really wanted to explore. I mean, Colleen really pushes us on this of, you know, what role does music play in Judaism? What role does it actually do for us? What's the point of it, right? How does it bring us closer to God? How does it bring us closer to each other and our community, our values? This is this is what Colleen usually does during our services, and she's playing under, making everything I sound. It's beautiful. It's wonderful to be here. No, that, it usually makes things like that. So we're going to hopefully talk about those things today and, and really try to explore, like, what is the point? Like, I know music is entertaining. It's fun. People like music. But like, why do we have to have it as part of Judaism? Why do we have to have it as part of our service? There are obviously people who don't necessarily love music as part of the service so much or have some issues with it. There's some people who love it and it helps them in so many ways. And I want to talk about all those things today. And I think it's also a really poignant question for our community because since we have come to Temple of Aaron, we have brought a lot of music into the synagogue. And there are some questions of like, what's going on here? Like, do you just really love music or, you know, like, do you just want to like turn this into a concert venue? And I think the, you know, the idea that music is not, we're not bringing in music for music's sake. We're bringing in music to enhance or to deepen or to elevate or to do all sorts of number of things that we'll talk about today, I think is something really important for us to be able to get across as well. Right. There was a, such a funny conversation after one of our last musical Shabbats, which uh, the instrumental musical Shabbat that I run, we call it Lahakat Shabbat or Band Shabbat. And one of the members came up to me afterwards, uh, multiple members have come up to me and said, I feel like I'm at the Dakota Jazz Club, which is like the big jazz club in the Twin Cities. And it's like, obviously... As a jazz trumpet player myself, I'm like, yeah, awesome. But I'm like, on the rabbi side, I'm like, wait a second. Like, is that really that's, what's that's the, not, that's not quite, not quite what we're going you. for? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it just brings up these questions, and it's really important that we discuss it. But before we get into that, and before we discuss it with the master of music here. Wow. I have a, wow. Lot, of, I have a lot of titles for you today. Thank you. So, Colleen, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What's your deal? And, like, how does music interact with your Jewish life? Yeah, tell us about that. So, I actually grew up Catholic and didn't encounter Judaism until my early 20s when I was recruited to play in a, it's sort of a bar mitzvah band, sort of a high holidays band in Kansas City. And that was really the first time I ever sang in Hebrew or learned anything about Judaism, really, other than what I learned in my Catholic school upbringing, which wasn't really all that much. So the music for me is sort of the thing about mm-hmm. Judaism. And since that time, which was something like 13, 14 years ago, I have written Jewish music and put melodies to Hebrew words. And to me, the music adds just infinite layers of meaning to the prayers. Like if you wake up in the morning, you used to just say, that's fine. And but what does like, that mean for our listeners? 
You want us to translate that? Yeah, go ahead. I, she said that that's the prayer that you say in the morning when they wake up. The first thing that, that we're supposed to say is, I acknowledge that I stand before my maker, before God. Thank you for bringing me back into the world. Grace your faithfulness. Right. Thank you for bringing me back into this world. And translations I, sometimes by Marcus. I think yeah. I've heard, yeah, I like that translation, but <laughs> it's like, how great is your trust in me? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Which is like a huge responsibility and an honor. And you can just say those words and then your brain has thought of it quickly and you move on with your day. But when you sing, like I just felt something in that prayer and then I've stretched that moment and made it bigger and more powerful and made it a deeper moment because of the music. Mm. Was music also a way that you connected to Catholicism and Christianity or is this unique to Judaism for you? Yeah, I grew up singing in church and playing in church. My first job when I was 15, I was the piano accompanist Mm. for the church and I I got a lot of good feedback, but sometimes I would be told that I played too loud <laughs> and I played with too much spirit and that I needed to just tone it down. And I would try. And there were, you know, there's like quieter songs that are more reflective, but I just love how excited you can get with music. And I think that's all good and holy and we're supposed to feel that. Um, so I would say as a Jewish person, I've definitely had more space to explore what we can do with music and and explore the depth of potential there is with music. And so you didn't get anyone in Jewish communities saying, tone it down. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like Footloose. It's always somebody. Yeah. No dancing. No. Have there been any like Jewish musicians that you really have been inspired by or that you see as kind of like mentors or role models, whether you know them personally or not? Yes, there are many that I have the honor of knowing personally and playing music with. And then there are those that I never got to meet, like Debbie Friedman. Mm -hmm. One of the first Jewish projects I was in was a Debbie Friedman tribute band that was formed in 2011, just after she passed away by one of her dear friends in Kansas City, Deborah Lerner, who is now a very dear friend of mine. And so I really look up to her because I I know enough to know that she really changed the accessibility of these prayers with the melodies and the English that she would put with them. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. most importantly, graduate of Highland High School here in St. Paul, right in our neighborhood. Highland High School. I think that's the school our kid would go to, right? No. No? It's complicated? Te- technically, we live in Macroflin. Oh, it's so awkward Central, for everybody here. It's so <laughs> awkward. But if we move half a block down, then we could. There you go. So I, I want to know more about you, and I, I think we all do, but but I think in order to do that, we just have to hear your music. Would you like to to play us something? Give us a little bit of what, you, what you're musically about here. Yeah. So I recently wrote an album of Jewish music with my dear friend... I have so many dear friends. (laughs) My dear, dear friend, Michelle Cohn-Levy, and she lives in Vail, Colorado, and we were able to take a beautiful retreat and write some beautiful songs in the mountains, and one of them is a Romamu. And this this album has not yet been released, is that right? It hasn't been released, but we're recording it soon. We're recording next month. We're going to release it this summer at the latest. So if you are listening... 
Consider yourself really lucky and blessed. You get a little sneak preview of this. Hashtag their rabbis and their married exclusive right now. It's happening. You are listening to it before anyone else. We should start a tiny desk concert series. Oh, that would be my dream come true. That would be that would be something. That'd be cool. I would do that. I'd do it. Okay. Okay, without any further interruption. You're the first one. Go. All right. Should I do it? Yes. All right. I got Michelle's permission to share this and I so wish that she was here to sing this with me because it's so much better with both of our voices. But here it goes. Go
Beautiful. Oh my God. Uh, that is magic. Is it as magic as the magic of Rabbi Rachel? Listen to the magic of Rabbi Rachel. Listen to the magic of Rabbi Rachel. That's your theme song that I like to play when you come into ECFE. And I'm just like so excited. And I've like hyped everybody up with music. And then I'm like, everybody, listen to the magic of Rabbi Rachel. If anyone wants to see a blushing rabbi be in the room when Colleen does that, it makes me blush every time. But it's amazing to have your own theme song. I know. And you always like dance to it. It's great. Everyone loves it. It's amazing. You're not allowed to use the theme song for any other rabbi, all right? I'm listening. I'm seeing. If you go somewhere else, don't sub out another rabbi's day. It's Rabbi Rachel Magic only. Oh, good. There we go. But I totally feel what you're saying. You know, you talked about how a specific melody or, or a specific music for, for a prayer can completely transform your relationship with it. And I think that song you just sang is, is a perfect example of it. Like you can sing like so many other tunes to Romamu and it takes you to a totally different place or no place at all. And you're just kind of chanting through it. And then you, you stop and you ref, like that. I think that's what music does. It, it, it has you pause. It has you stop and gives you that space to really reflect on like, where, where am I supposed to be right now? Romamu, I'm supposed to be ascending. Like, how do I reach that mountain? How do I get to that place? Yasher Koach to you and to your co-songwriter, because that, I think you, you completely achieved that goal, at least for me. Thank you. Rabbi Rachel Magic endorsed. Speaking, about that. speaking of Rabbi Rachel Magic, I would love to hear your relationship with music, Rabbi Rachel. How does it help you in your Judaism or, or not as much? Or what, what is your, what happens when you hear music during services for you? I think uh, for those who don't know, Rabbi Marcus is laughing a little bit because I'm a little bit the odd man out of this conversation because unlike Colleen and unlike Rabbi Marcus, I am not a musician. I don't have any particular musical skill or ability. I probably am on the spectrum of musical people pretty far on the low end of it. I uh, I have trouble clapping on beat much of the time. <laughs> Oh, man. And I can't quite carry a tune. But so as a non-musician, I think I do have a very different relationship. I hear how the two of you both speak about music and how you interact with music. And I do think I have a very different relationship with it in some ways. But I I certainly have experienced what you, Colleen, are, are are sharing. I think the first time I ever experienced that was in Jerusalem, and a prayer service called Nava Tehila, which is a well-known prayer service in Jerusalem. They, at least when I was there, they were meeting in like basements and bomb shelters, like not particularly beautiful spaces, but they uh, um, would bring like a full band and they wrote, they composed their own melodies to Kabbalat Shabbat, the Friday night service. And there's this one part of Psalm 95, at the end of Psalm 95, where we say, Arba'im shana kupidor, for 40 years, I, God, I struggled with that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Like this very condemning moment in the Psalms of God really calling out the Jewish people for, for how they have abandoned God. And normally in the Kabbalah Shabbat service, we like just kind of chant it. Arba'im shana akut Right. And you're like, I have no idea how to relate to this, this 
verse in this psalm. Like, I, just, I have no idea how to relate to it. And then Navatahila, for the first time, I had heard someone put music to this to this verse, and they put this soulful, like mournful music, beautiful but mournful music to it. And it, that was that that was the first moment where I ever said, "Wow, I understand." a piece of Torah that I have never understood before because of music, because of the melody. And, you know, it really transformed. I'm someone who like is a pretty, has pretty good fluency of Torah. Like I can understand the Hebrew and I can, you know, I can understand it and relate to it much of the time. But for the first time, music was that bridge that allowed me to do it. So even as a non-musician, I have, I've had those moments and those experiences where, wow, like the music can just transform beyond any, like I didn't have to read a hundred commentaries and like do all the Torah study that I normally do to access difficult verses. It was, it was so much more from the soul and from the gut of, wow, I just, I understand now what, what this verse is trying to bring me to. That's just, that's just really beautiful. And I, I think you make a really great point that music is in the service of the Torah, right? Music is in service of the message. It is most effective in Jewish settings when it amplifies the Torah values and messages that we're trying to get across. And, and for me, I think that that is one of the main functions of music in a Jewish setting. And, and here you see it worked really, really well. And I think that's really, that's really like definitive of our generation of Jewish musicians, especially in our like conservative Jewish world. I think that there have been inc- like unbelievable Jewish musicians who have come before us, like Debbie Friedman. But there was, all musicians I think are influenced by their era. And so there was like this kind of folksy and 70s, you know, influence that that Debbie Friedman had and I think you're right Colleen that she did make so much so much more accessible to the general Jewish population which is an incredible goal in and of itself but I think the Jewish musicians that we tend to gravitate towards and that are really prompt growing in prominence in our specific communities are ones who are super intentional with what is this piece of Torah like what is the spiritual message I'm supposed to be receiving from this piece of Torah and how do I bring people with me there through music. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I 100% agree. I think for me and my personal experience and when it comes to music, you know, I was a jazz musician from a very young age. I don't know if I've said it in here before. My grandfather was a professional jazz trumpet player living in Brooklyn. He drove a cab, taxi cab during the day and at night he played music which means he slept never. He was a professional musician when that was, in, he was part of the musicians union and everything. My cousins, my cousin is a, is a jazz trumpet player and I too am a jazz trumpet player. So it's, I'm kind of in the vein. It's funny when we, when I play with my cousin, like my cousin plays in the same style I do, even though it's something in, in family like that. We all play the same style. So it's, it's really in the family and, and music's sort of always been sort of what we did. And I think even more importantly for me, music has always been something that connects me to the divine. I think even before Judaism, music connected me to the divine. I could, I remember lying on the floor in my in my bedroom at it was like ten o'clock at night. My mom thought I was sleeping. Mom, I hope you're not listening. But I was lying on the floor listening to Sketches of Spain by Miles Davis, which I never understood. And you know, it was a very intense, uh, mature album. And I remember listening to it and having it open up on me. That first first track, Concierto, Concierto de Aranjuez. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it, it really, it just blew me away. And it took me to places that I never knew even existed and realizations and thoughts of who I was. 
And musician, music's always done that from like such high flute music as Miles Davis, but even like Coldplay, like, you know what I mean? Like it really has brought me to places where I thought I could never go, where I'd never even felt like I think I, I, I could go. It would take me there. But as I grew older, I sort of realized that music has this power, but it's very short term. Like you play a song, you feel it when you're singing it or when you're doing it. And maybe for a couple of minutes afterwards, you have this like, wow, I just, something amazing just happened. But for me, like there was, it didn't actually make me a better person. I had this like almost drug-like experience where I'm like feeling this high. It's bringing me to this, this other place. But I, for me, at least in my personal experience, I was lacking, okay, so how is this going to actually transform me? How am I going to bring those insights that I learned and those experiences back into my life to make me a better person? And I think for me, that's where Torah comes in. Like Torah for me is what actually elongates the process, Judaism and its values, right? Music for me at least enables the message to cut through all the BS and, and get inside my kishkas and my soul and it helps me to open up myself up to the message. But what keeps the message there is the message, is learning Torah, is practicing Judaism, is being a good person in this world. And I think the sacred combination of the music with the, 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 the message and the prayer and the mitzvot has this really amazing ability to give us these transformative experiences that truly actually are transformative. Like, they actually do make us better people. And in this day and age, like, our, our, our people need this. I mean, people come into davening and people come into shul and they're asked to sit through a three-hour service or a two-and-a-half-hour service on Saturday morning that's all in Hebrew in a language they don't understand, praying to God they don't know if they believe in, right? Like, we're asking so many things from somebody and it's so hard. And, like, to actually pray and to actually for the prayer experience to be transformative as it should be, right, requires, like... a lot of kavanah and a lot of ability to open yourself up to the message. Like when you sing Roman show, right? The, the idea is not just to pray that, but it's to feel that. Like when I say Roman Lohenu, I want to feel elevated by God. Because that's what I'm saying. show, and I bow to God in this holy mountain, right? I want to feel like I'm ascending that holy mountain when I pray it. And if I'm praying effectively, I'm feeling that. I'm in that moment. I feel like I'm actually doing that. That's what music does. Because even if I don't know that when, when Colleen played that beautiful song that she wrote with Michelle, it, it made me feel that way. And now when I read those words again and I'm there, I could go back to that experience and say, okay, now I'm there again. And I think that music has the ability to unlock the keys so that people don't get like, ah, maybe I, do I believe in God? Do I not believe in God? Do I, it's in Hebrew, it's annoying, I'm bored, I'm hungry. Like music cuts through all that BS. It cuts through all of that, and we need to do that for effective tefillah. And our generation struggles so mightily to do that, to cut through all of the distractions and all of the disclaimers and all of the troublesome thoughts that get through. Music helps us to be in that moment, which is why, for me, it's been like a really essential part of bringing more music, of bringing Colleen here at Temple of Aaron, of having music during prayer services. I'm very lenient in terms of the use of musical instruments during services, even though I tend to be pretty right in the conservative mood because it's so... It's so necessary. It's so needed to help us get to where we need to be. If that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious, Colleen, like how uh, your relationship with like secular music, because you play both. You play in Irish folk bands and you play in Jewish settings. Like, you know, Rabbi Marcus was saying how like the, you know, in for him, the Jewish music connected to the Torah, like those two pieces are so vital 
both the Torah and the music and gets him to places that Miles Davis on his own doesn't get him? Like, what is your relationship with secular music and Jewish music? Well, all music to me is very spiritual. And when I'm in a bar, people are at the bar drinking, enjoying conversation and going through whatever it is they're going through in life. And what I can do with music is really similar to what I do on the Bema. (laughs) which is engaging people and helping them be deeply present and experience a moment with me when I'm using music to connect with them. Mm. I can connect an entire room together and get everybody singing the chorus of Country Roads or (laughs) Hallelujah. I love singing Hallelujah in in a bar full of drunk people. It's such a magical experience, and it's kind of like being on the bima in front of a congregation that's not used to singing at the top of their lungs and just inviting them over and over again, sing with us. Everybody sing, all our voices together, and then eventually you get a room full of people singing. And it's not not terribly dissimilar to getting a bar full of people singing. I saw a meme online once that was like something like, you know, I thought that I was... Uh, a Christian, you know, such a religious Christian growing up because when the worship band would get up and play, I would like feel something so incredible. And I thought that was God. And then I went to my first live concert and I realized I just like music. (laughs) It was like that, you know, I think some, for some people that is like the music devoid of the Torah is still, it's still spiritual spiritual and connected. But I wonder, you know, to Rabbi Marcus's point, like the, like there is, I think, to me, I mean, I'm a rabbi, <laughs> there is that, like, added depth that I think, you know, your Romamu gives me more than if you were singing Country Road in this moment. I think you have a beautiful voice, and I would you know, I would feel something for sure. I would definitely listen to you sing Country Road. But, I, but, just in case <laughs> but I don't think it would transform me. Like, I don't think it would transform my... Your understanding of America and how beautiful it is and... I don't think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's more about uniting a room. Yeah. In in a bar. And when you have words of Torah, which are these old, very powerful words, like you were saying about Arbaim Shana, it can really give you, it, it can, music can be used for just such powerful intention. So I want to push you a little bit on that because like, I under, like, participation in music is so is so amazing and it's so incredible and like it's such a, an important part of jewish music and prayer services um some people say only music that is participatory that helps other people sing along should be music that is included in jewish prayer services and and you are definitely bringing out the highlights and, and the greatness about participation in music that it really helps you feel unified helps you it brings people along in such a wonderful way I want to. I want to. I want to ask you: Like, is there room for performative music in in a, a prayer setting? I, what, what I mean by that is like a piece that you're going to play that everyone in the room is going to sit and watch you and listen to you play, and then continue with, and then either they're thinking about thoughts in their head or they pray afterwards. Is there any use for that in in a Jewish prayer setting? I think there's definitely use for it, and I think that that kind of has been the style for a lot of cantors in synagogues in America is they perform the songs and they have the freedom to do it their way with their, their immense talent. And then that inspires everyone in the congregation. And those congregations tend to be very comfortable just sitting and receiving a service from the cantor and the rabbi from the Bima. And they're not really participating. I think there's a balance. I love participation. I love how much it gives people ownership of their prayer and engages a room 
and unites a room. But I also love when, you know, after a silent Amida, I can bring us out of it playing something on the violin, unaccompanied, that framed by the tefillah can be just so powerful and can help people feel things and it, it's connected to the prayer of the so, moment. So if I was to ask you, like, percentage-wise, like, obviously, this doesn't need to be exact, but, like, okay. your ideal service would be 20% performing, 80%? 90% participatory and, like, 10% or less performative. Mm. Yeah. Because it doesn't take that much to have, right. like, an intensely inspiring moment that is somewhat performative. Like, but that, for me, my taste personally, like... I don't need to sit and listen to an entire service of that. Oh, God. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think that's the trap, right? Is it's so easy. In some ways, it's easier to perform than, 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 than do participatory music. And you see a lot of people falling into the trap of only performative music. And it's so easy to do even too much performative music. I think I, I, think I would like slightly disagree with you in that I would probably, I'd probably say the sweet spot for our congregation is more like 20, 25% performative, 75% for the, for the for participatory for, temp- for our congregation. Yeah. But like in the end, is that such a big difference? Not really. And I mean, I think the reason for that in some ways is because it's also like, it's a lot of work to participate in a prayer service to what you were saying earlier of like the God you don't believe in and the words you don't understand and the foreign nature, especially some of the new music that moves the three of us so much. A lot of people, their connection to music is nostalgia and the music they knew growing up. So introducing all these new tunes and all this new music to them, even music that is meant to be participatory, it's a lot of really hard work. And it's almost like you need those like rest, you know, in a workout, you need those rest moments. You need those moments where you can like catch your breath a little bit. And I think for people who are less comfortable in the service, those rest moments are really important and allow you to have the bigger workout, the bigger spiritual workout. Yeah. I think, I think what you're saying is, I think what you're saying is really, really important here that people need that. I mean, I think most of our people, when they open their mouths up in prayer, I mean, you look, you just go to a typical, typical Jew, right? They open their mouths up and and you ask them to pray. They feel silly. They feel so they say in their head, does God really hear what I'm saying? Am I just talking to myself in a room? Right? And you feel all these, I feel stupid. I feel silly. I don't know what I'm doing. It's in a foreign language. And that's, that's what music does. Right? Music has the ability to just take down all those walls. Because you could just, when you listen to the music, you say, I, that feels great. I feel it. I feel it. And then all of a sudden, the questions become not as important. And you can actually just experience that spiritual experience in the moment and just, just be there. Right? Which is so, which is exactly, I think, what we're trying to get our congregants to do. I don't know if we can solve immediately all the, the theological, deep, the, the, the valid, by the way, and the, theological questions that our congregants are asking. I don't think we can solve it in two seconds, especially in a prayer service. But just by playing music, it just kind of bypasses all those things. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, that's that then. <laughs> we solved it. We solved it, everybody. <laughs> We know. Okay, so wonderful. So I, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know you brought a piece of Torah. Can we can we delve into it? Yeah, so I wanted to bring this little piece of Torah. I mean, I like to do this because I always like to bring a little piece of Torah in our, our podcasts. We're not going to go through all this. I was just lazy. Josh, just, this is for you. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to go through all this, but... I wanted to bring a piece of Rebbe Nachman. I, I might even just paraphrase this teaching because I think we're going to get so bogged down by the teaching and we're just going to be doing this the rest of the time. So I'm just going to, I think I'm going to summarize it. This is, a, this is a very famous teaching from one of the most famous Hasidic Rebbeim of all time, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, 
Chassidut or Hasidism is a spiritual movement that was originally created by the Baal Shem Tov, a Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, who was alive in the early 1700s and started a new populist a mystical movement arguing basically that God is present at every single moment wherever you are, that God fills all spaces and surrounds all spaces and that each and every Jew has access to that God, not just the Torah scholars, but all Jews, and we can access God through song, and we can access God through art, and we can access God through walking in nature, not just through, you know, specifically doing mitzvot or studying Torah, as was believed to be before. It was, it was a wonderful revolution. And from the Baal Shem Tov, there were many rabbis who, who followed his ways and, and kind of created their own style. And one of those was Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who lived in the early 1800s. Unfortunately, he died very young from tuberculosis in his young 30s, early 30s. And he was probably one of the most creative um, Hasidic thing. He, he he probably he is the most creative Hasidic thinker prob- of all time. It's like very hard when you say is, but I, I really do think he is the most creative spiritual thinker, Hasidic thinker. And specifically, this is one of his most famous Torahs. It's it's from his magnum opus called Lakute Moran, and it's Torah two eighty two, and it's called the Zamra, which means I will sing. I will sing. Which good good title here. And what Rebbe Nachman says, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna, he basically says that it's a very, very good thing to judge each person favorably. And when we look at a person, there's good points and there are bad points. And what we should be doing with Jew, as Jews with our neighbor in order to serve God is to pull out the good points, is to look for the good points both in our neighbors and in those around us and also the good points in ourselves and lift those up. And, and by lifting those good points up in our neighbors and in ourselves, we actually create that good and nullify the bad, which I think is really, is, is, is such a beautiful teaching. But the reason I'm, I, I, again, you can, we can learn this Torah for a whole entire years and years. It, it's, it's so transformative. But where, why I'm bringing it today is because of what he says next. He says, that's exactly what a musician does when they play an instrument. When they play... He says, and again, I'm just paraphrasing what's written here, at least for us. What he says is that when a musician chooses a note, there's a countless other notes that they can choose. But when they choose a specific note to play, and you have to choose the note as a instrumentalist, you're choosing the good note out of many bad notes or out of many notes that might not sound good. And that selection of a good choice is the same thing as lifting up the good points. And what a musician does is really tying all of these good points, these good notes together and lifting up the good and eliminating the bad. So therefore, the musician, therefore, has this unbelievable mystical role to play in bringing out the good. And I just, I thought that was incredible. And of course, he related that to the chazan and what the shliach sibor is supposed to do when leading prayer services is that what they're doing is connecting the good points found within the congregants in front of them. Right, that what a, a good chazan is supposed to love the congregants, love the, the the congregation, each individual, know them and lift up the good points in each person, connect them together, and to do that symbolically through song, right through picking the right notes. And I just thought this was beautiful because it gives music this redemptive quality of being able to filter out the good from the bad, to lift up the good even when there's so much darkness in the world. And and for me, I guess phenomenologically in my own life, that's like actually what I experience. Like when, when you play that song, I could have been feeling a million other things, but when you were playing that song, I was locked in with you, right? And you all of a sudden brought that quality out that I might have not been thinking at, and you brought that out. 
I wonder, Colleen, like, what do you think of that teaching, and especially in the way of, of relating it to your audience and to the congregants, right, and bringing out those good points in, in the relationships? Because I know relationships are also really important for you, not just music. You have so many people who you're friends with and love and care for. How, does that, how, does that, how do those things relate together, and, and how, do you, how do you relate to that Torah? How do you re- react to that Torah? Or, um, or do you have questions on it? You know, I have also. some questions. Good. But I don't know. It's so interesting that they assume that the musician picks the right notes. No pressure, musicians, <laughs> on picking the right notes. It's kind of like, I, I think he's just really happy about the fact that music has the power that it has and that the person playing that role does. I mean, I'm so blessed that I get to do this, that this is my one skill that I have in life because I really don't have any other skills. <laughs> I That's not true, Ripstick. Oh, yeah, except for snowboarding. like snowboarding. <laughs> Don't break your arm. <laughs> Already did. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, if you could expound a little bit more on, like I'm reading here, he must be skilled at playing. No, this is like the instructions for who should play the instrument and provide the music. Right, I think he's defining what it means to be skilled at an instrument, right? is not He doesn't mean it in a literal sense of being like, oh, I know how to play trumpet, like, I know how to make the embouchure or whatever, but it's like skilled at playing an instrument means knowing what the good points are. What are the good notes? Now, Rebbe Nachman, I don't think was a musician. He, he did might have written Nigunim or something like that, but he wasn't an instrumental musician. At least we don't have records of that. But this, I think, symbolically means like being skilled an instrument is being able to find those good notes, right? Find the right notes to play. Right, which again, this is for some reason bringing back that Miles, that famous Miles Davis quote: "Like there is no wrong note, mm. right?" And you can like make any wrong note sound like a good note by the next note you play. Well, I was actually going to say that I feel like you, particularly as a jazz musician, love this teaching because I, as as a non musician, my perception of watching you play jazz music is almost the fun of it is playing the wrong note and making it sound like the right note. Like that's where right. jazz music becomes really fun. It's not classical music where you're like oh, very strictly playing exactly as it should be played. You're like purposely like making a sound that shouldn't be there and then making <laughs> but, it but, work. But, that, but, that no, is- but I think, which I think like even elevates this teaching even more right. of like, it's not just about finding the obviously good things in each person. It's about taking the challenging things about people too and transforming them into the good. Exactly. Which is a Hasidic teaching, right? Because if you really believe that God is creating everything at every second, then everything is connected to God. Right? Everything at, at its source is sourced in God. So therefore, within almost everything, right? And I say almost because there are some things that are forbidden, at least, and we can talk about that differently. But most 90% of things we can lift up and we can say, okay, since God is creating this at this moment, there's got to be some holy spark in it. There's got to be something in here that's good and beautiful. And I'm going to lift that up. Right. And that's for me, that's like, that's what music does. And that's what I'm doing when I play jazz music is like, I'm taking, uh, uh, when I don't know what to play, I just play a note and then I react to that note. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know if Colleen, do you do the, the same thing? Like, yeah, it's pretty easy once I start making sounds to know what to do next. It's like you just start channeling and then you are sort of directed by the energy of the room of what to do next. Like sometimes I'll start a song from the Bima at a certain tempo or I'll start it really open outside of tempo just to see if people really bite or react. And then I have, I can go anywhere with it. I can go really fast. I can go slow. It's just really about feeling the energy of the room and bringing everyone together. That's 
kind of how I use music because I'm just trying to elevate any given moment, especially during prayer. Right, right. Yeah, I, but I guess I'm, I'm just curious about, is there, does the shliach tzibor, who's leading the service, do they need to be an ethical person? Does that help their music? Does it help the efficacy of the music to actually increase the message by be, by 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 the shliach tzibor, the person leading the music, is as a ethical person, a good person, someone who's really actually trying to connect to the congregants in front of them, or it really doesn't matter if they're playing quality music and they're getting people to sing along. That's it. Well, I don't think you would be a shliach tzibor unless you really wanted to use your gift, your musical gift, to to lead people, like, and an ethical person, like, what is that? Are we ethical people? We're all trying, but do we do Striving to be things? ethical people. Yeah, striving, striving to be good to be people. Ethical. But I'm not sure it's ethical, right? I think it's that that desire and that sense to connect with the people in front of you. I think that's, that's different than ethical, right? Like, they might go home and, like, right. you know, steal, but they, you know, it's like in that moment, right. like, I think we've, I don't know, I guess I can't speak for you, but I've certainly been in situations where there is a very talented chazan leading the service, but there, there's, like, a coldness, right? Like, they are in their own little bubble. They are not, they have a beautiful voice and have mastery of the liturgy, but they are not at all connected to what the congregation is feeling in that moment. They are just kind of doing their thing. They're they're on their little performance stage almost like in a bubble. And there's that's a very different experience than being in a room with a Shaliyah Sibor who may be less technically talented even, but is really connecting with the people in the room and really seeing the people in the room. And I feel like that is what this teaching is, is that like being a skilled musician or a skilled Shaliyah Sibor is not necessarily about the like technical expertise it's about the ability to really see the people in front of you and connect with them and elevate the prayer of the moment i think is really what it what it is that's what's that's what music is for and i think that's what choosing the right notes means it's not but, like but then you have to know the congregants it's not about the music or the prayers as as much as the as like it's also connecting to the like you have to know and and I, I Colleen I think that's why we keep having you back. I was by just going to say that right? like, like that's that's, like, that's your particular gift is you happen right. to be like one of the most talented musicians I've ever seen. Oh, like you stop. happen to be like a technically very talented musician. With but I would an, say that's a secondary with talent. an incredible voice talent. and incredible talent, and you are one of the strongest people I've ever seen at being able to connect with people in a room. And it doesn't matter if you are like up on the bima or standing six inches in front of them. Like it's not about the physical distance. You just have this ability to intuit the the energy of people and feel them and bring them with you and connect with them. It's and the two of those things is I cut I cut Rabbi Marcus off, but what he was about to say is like we have you know there's like a lot of great Jewish musicians in the world. Like we have access to a lot of Jewish musicians and we try to bring them in and they're great. But like that's why I think your connection to our community has been so longstanding is because you have that unique ability of both. Right. That's why it hurt me so bad when you said my only talent is, is music. Cause it's so not true. <laughs> it's like so not true. And it's, and again, you wouldn't be back here as much unless it was, it was for that very fact. And cause that, cause that's the name of a, of a chazan. That's the name of uh, the shots or shlitzibor means the sender of the congregation, right? The delegate, literally the delegate, the representative of the congregation, you're representing 
how can you represent the congregation if you don't know the congregants and their needs and their greatest desires? And you have the and you have the audacity to say, I'm going to be the one who speaks to God for you. Like I'm going to bring your hopes, dreams, desires, concerns to God. That's why the the, the chazan or the shleich tibor or someone like yourself like needs to be so connected to the congregants. Um, and and again, you do that like 150 billion times over at our con- our congregation. So well, it's interesting to think of of the prayer leader as the channel to God, because I actually think that like everyone is connected to God. It's just the person leading gets to be on the bima and gets to be louder than everyone else or whatever. But for me, I, I think I said music was my only skill because I really worked hard to get it and I practiced a lot, but my connection to people is just really, I love people and I love to look at their faces while I'm singing and encouraging them to sing and finding the ways in which I can engage them. And that is not something that I practice. I just, it's a gift. I kind of like, I just enjoy relationship. I enjoy connection. So you were saying that I, the, the prayer leader has the audacity to say, I'm going to present everything together to God. I don't know if like, if that really aligns my belief of, or my concept of God or my relationship to God personally, and I really do believe that it's all about us being connected together, um, which is why I'm like a 90%, 10% person when it comes to participatory music and performative music. Like, I want the room to feel connected. I think that's like the stuff of God is that connection in that room and that big prayer when we're all feeling it together. Yeah, but I... I well, I was just going to say, which I think is very Jewish, right? Like, there are... You can pray alone as a Jew, like certainly, mm-hmm. um, but not quite as much as you can pray in community, right? Like there, there has to be a reason why we need a minion. There has to be a reason why we need community. Yeah. And I think that it does go both ways. It's also, it's, it's a vertical connection of like you to God, but it's also a horizontal connection of you to the people in the room. And I think all of that is God, right? Like they're not separate. All of that mm-hmm. is God. And that's, I think the reason why prayer and community is so, is held so sacred in Judaism. Yeah, I mean, the, the Talmud literally says God is more present in a room and a minion. I mean, it just, God is more present when we are all praying together. Now, that, that has to do with what you're saying, right? Because that you're connecting more people together, right? So therefore, God is more present. That would make sense. I, I, w- I would say, like, as an answer, maybe, maybe as, as to what you're saying here, is I think that, like, we have to admit that there are many who, who are, for whatever reason, not able to open up their mouth in prayer, not able to express to God their 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 deepest dreams, insights, whatever, right? Hopefully they will, and hopefully we as rabbis and and everybody working in a synagogue helps them open themselves up to God and prepare themselves to be able to do that. But until that time, right there, there is something very powerful about someone saying a lay person is coming and saying, "I'm gonna come to services." I have no idea what to say to God. I'm like all over the place. I And then to come in and you meeting them where they're at in that space and helping to lift up and clarify for them like what they're feeling at this point and to lift that up to God as a sacrifice, as a, as a, as a gift, you know, I think is the most beautiful thing. And yes, it, it is audacious. It is audacious. And I think the people who do that should take that in the utmost seriousness of what they're doing. And, and really commit to, because you have to commit to relationship in order to really do that seriously and care and, and concern, you know. But yes, 
eventually, hopefully, Jews will be able to individually do that for themselves. But like, we we can't just be only the only the people who know how to pray, or only the people who know how to do it, or connect, or open their mouths in front of God can should do do it. We also have to make room for the people who just for whatever reason can't or think they can't. Right. Right. And I do think that the audacity of a prayer leader is kind of a dramatic thing that is also spiritually powerful for a congregation to see somebody on the bema, just like it's powerful to see the rabbi and hear the rabbi teach. It's, it's, it connects people spiritually to what's going on. And my preferred moment of connection is looking at everybody and we're all singing and I can hear it and I can feel the energy of it. But I can do the audacious thing and, and present <laughs> our prayer as, as the leader of the prayer and I, I know that that does something for people. Because what, I, like, like you're saying, I don't know, like it's high holidays, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we could talk about this, you know, and you're saying, you know, Shema koholeinu Adonai Eloheinu, listen, oh God, to our voice and our prayer. What would it look like for you to think of a particular congregant at that point that you know, a particular relationship and what they're going through in their life? And to lift that moment up and be that person, be that, be their struggle in that moment. Bring that into your voice, into your guitar playing, into whatever it is, right? Like to bring that and link it up with your own pain and your own struggles and your own wishes. Like, what would that, like, what would that look like? Have you ever done something like that before? Done what? Looked at somebody... Yeah, like 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 bring somebody else's pain who's sitting there in the congregation right now, and like bringing them into your mind at that moment, their desires, their wills. What are they like? I I do this all the time. I say I look at someone in the congregation. I like, what are they praying right now? Like, they're I, I can see them praying the Amidah. Like, what are they? What is their prayer to God right now? What are they desiring? What What are they asking God for right now? And I want to be connected to that. Yeah, I think I've done that when I look at people I know in the congregation, and I kind of know what's going on with them. It makes my intention deeper and more personal and more powerful, I think. And they they may never know that I was thinking of them or lifting them up during Misha Beirach or whatever. But it's it's a powerful thing. Or when I'm singing with Josh on the Bima and we like really practiced a piece together and I know what he's going through and he knows what I'm going through and we're able to like pray the piece together. Um, I think that's really powerful. It's funny. That's a unique argument for why Shlich Eitzibor should not face away from the congregation, but should face towards the congregation so they can see who they're praying for. Rabbi Rachel and I had a really funny conversation about this, that she was saying, like, when she gets to turn towards the ark and do, like, a silent Amidah, that's, like, her moment of respite when no one, like, no one can see your face. And for me, I'm so much more comfortable when I'm making eye contact with people mm-hmm. and they can see my face. And then when it's, like, time for silent Amidah and I turn around and I'm just, like, Oh my God, everyone's looking at the back of me. Oh my gosh, I'm not doing this right. Oh, like I just get so self conscious. Yeah, no, it was a really interesting moment of like an introvert versus a performer and what their experience on the Bima is. Yeah, but I, but I also think that's the nature of the job, right? Like I. I feel better when I'm facing the beat, the Torah as well, like I'm away from the congregation because I could focus more on God, right? Because at that moment, that's what I'm doing. I'm not responsible for bringing the prayers of the community. That's Cantor Educator Josh's job or your job, right? That That's your unique talent of like, and, and in some ways, like that's why it's so important that you guys are connected and looking at the congregants and bringing them into this moment because it is relational. And I think, again, I think that's why Rabbi Nachman, like what he's doing is like, is so powerful for me because he is making music relational, Right. And, and, and about really about lifting up other people right? and lifting up the good in the world, which is like so, so like so necessary right mm-hmm. now. 
you know, wonderful, wonderful. Well, this has been really fun getting to talk to you. Um, would you like to grace us with one last song? Come celebrate the words of Torah. <laughs> it's like a bluesy version. With Marcus and Rachel, Rabbis Rubenstein. Yeah. That was my cover, my low voice cover. My voice is like an octave lower than normal right now. I know, I love that, I love that. We're going to release an album just of different versions of our theme song. The EDM, the EDM <laughs> version, reggae version, it's going to be great. <laughs> Come celebrate the words of Torah. It's oh, like Avril Lavigne style, I like that, that's good, I like that. <laughs> Colleen, are there any like projects or things you want to plug before you go? Oh boy, there's so many things, I'm so excited about all the work that I'm doing right now. And if you just go to my website and look at my tour schedule, you can see if I'll be close to you wherever you are in the in the country, and if it'll be live streamed because sometimes it is. I just I do so many different things, and I love all of it. And I think the variety that I have makes it so that I I have time away from this or that, and then when I come back to it, it's. It's really wonderful. That's amazing. Well, for those of you in the Twin Cities, Colleen will be back with us at Temple of Erin the weekend of Purim. I think that's March 22nd. Um, And we cannot wait to celebrate Shabbat and Purim with you this year. It's going to be so fun. Um, And also, I like... What albums, like, would you suggest any, I don't know, one or two Jewish albums, Jewish music that you love, that you think is really great coming out right now? Like, what what should people be listening to? I don't know about what's come out right now. Even at things that over the past two, three years, that, you know, four years, five years. Yeah, well, there's one album that I really love. Well, there's two. There's actually so many, but I have two on my brain right now. One of them is Billy Jonas Band. He has this beautiful album. It's his latest, I think it's his latest work, and it's on Spotify, and it's just gorgeous. And then Ariel Root Wolpe has a great album that I've listened to over and over again. Yosef Goldman has put out an incredible work that I, that it's like one of these albums that you can just listen to on repeat. Mm. I am personally involved with a number of projects, and um, I have the album release concert for Eliana Light's new album coming up in Durham next week and it's different than any of the work that she's done and I really enjoy her melodies and I'm just so proud of her and I hope you guys can listen to that one as well I Eliana visits here too I think I don't know if she's busy. She yet, was just at Mount Zion. She was yeah. just at the uh, Reform Congregation in St. Paul nice. a few weeks ago, which is wonderful. I'm sure, she'll eventually come around. Yeah, yeah. And then Rabbi Joshua Shosky and I are also working on new material for an upcoming mm-hmm. album. And then, of course, the album that I just wrote with Michelle Gunn Levy is going to be coming out. So that's like a whole bunch of listening recommendations. So really, you have a lot of time in your hands. Really, <laughs> so much time. Um, <laughs> A lot of spare time to go snowboarding. Yes, well, another one of Colleen's loves uh, snowboarding and being outside. Um, That'll be part two of our podcast. We'll bring you back to talk about snowboarding. Oh my God, can we have Rabbi Rachel go snowboarding? and snowboarding. Rabbi it's, Rachel on the snowboard? The no, mountains are like, it's an incredible place. And then if you just get on a snowboard, you get to explore it just so much god's creation i would love to explore it from the ski lodge with a (laughs) cup of hot cocoa (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody well that's that thank you so much colleen for being here with us today 
and being on our incredible uh, podcast with us. And, and I just think having some really fruitful discussions. We've enjoyed having you here at Temple of Aaron um, and look forward to having you again really, really soon. Please always, 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 always remember to review, subscribe, comment, tell your friends about our podcast. I think we do really good stuff here. I think we bring out great ideas and have great discussions, have great guests. So please, please do that. Obviously, always thank you to our wonderful producer, Jesse Ulrich at Rant9 Productions for producing and editing our podcast. And of course, I can say thank you to your face. Thank you, Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger for your wonderful theme song that you've created for us thank we really you appreciate jeffrey it. he's playing piano on that <laughs> and then at the end he goes they're rabbis and they're married yeah. which is that's how you guys name the podcast which is how it we is. name the podcast it's <laughs> right there it's right there so just thank you so much thank you for everything you do oh, oh, oh. come celebrate the 